Uh, we're going to start in Acts chapter one, and um, where this is a continuation of last week, and we'll continue going through Acts verse by verse for a couple of weeks. And so we'll be in Acts chapter one, verse 12 through 26. Luke writes, verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and there he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in week one of our Acts study last week, we talked about the word witness and how we are called to be witnesses, right? How Christ went up and said, now it's time for us basically to continue this work. And tonight, what we're gonna talk about is this passage and this idea of discernment. Now, many of us know what this word discernment means, right? It's basically, how do we know God's will? And this is one of the number one things us pastors hear about. People come to us wondering, what do I do? <laughs> I, I, I have these choices. I have this opportunity. I have what, How do I know which is from God? And I believe this passage is a really, really great passage that helps us with discernment. And many times when people read the beginning of the book of Acts, they actually jump right to Acts 2 because it's really cool. And there's the Holy Spirit and there's tongues of fire and all of that stuff. But I want us to stop here before we get to the Holy Spirit next week and spend a little time looking at this passage. Because I think in this passage, there's three things we can learn about discernment. And, and, and how we can learn to make wise choices and overcome some large sin in our life in the process. So let's go through this passage and look, shall we? Uh, after Jesus has gone to be with the Father, the apostles, it say, says, return to Jerusalem in verses 12, 13, and 14. And they all gathered together, and it says they were constantly in prayer. 
And it wasn't just the 11, but it was all of these other believers. And it mentions the, these women with them and, and, and Jesus's mother and his brothers. And they were all gathered together, praying, waiting for the helper, waiting for what Jesus had promised. And we could talk a lot more about this and, and belabor this point, but I think the point is clear that we know we are called to gather together, aren't we? We are called to come together, much like we are now, in worship, in prayer, in encouragement, and lift each other up. How encouraging is it? How encouraging has it been in your life to meet together with sisters and brothers in Christ, to sing songs of praise, to read scripture, to pray, to just be together? How much more encouraging it, encouraging, excuse me, is it when we do these things in uncertain times? Because remember, for the disciples, these were indeed uncertain times. They were waiting on the Holy Spirit, wondering what would happen, probably afraid of being arrested, thrown in jail, or worse, like Jesus. And the first thing we see tonight that I want to encourage us is when we wonder what God's will is, when we worry about discernment and how to make wise choices, the first thing I see in this passage is that we cannot stop meeting that we cannot stop relying on one another's wisdom. We cannot stop praying and encouraging one another. We can't do it ever, but especially when things are uncertain and difficult. And so that's the first thing I want us to see in this passage, that we do not stop meeting together, church. We cannot stop meeting together. And part of discernment is spending regular time in prayer and encouragement with brothers and sisters in Christ. So we'll come back to that. So that's the first one. And then we see in verse 15 that Peter gets up to actually address not just this group that was praying, but it says all of the believers, which numbered about 120. And he's addressing something that probably really needs to be talked about, right? Peter addresses the whole Judas thing. Like, you know, hey, there's been a lot happening. Jesus appeared to us. Um, a lot's going on. He has now ascended into heaven. Uh, maybe we should talk about the whole awkward Judas thing, how one of the 12 disciples betrayed him. And so Peter addresses this crowd, addresses this group, and he does it in a really neat way. And before we get there, I just want to remind us all, the reason Peter does this was because Peter was called by Jesus to be sort of the leader, right? If you remember from John chapter 16, Jesus said to him when he confessed Jesus as the Christ, this is from John 16, he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so Peter is assuming sort of a leadership role here, and he stands up to preach and to teach among the disciples and the believers and to address what happened with Judas. He stands up, as we see, to interpret the scriptures, sort of like preaching, right? But what he says is really interesting. He says that, hey, everyone, I want you to know something about Judas. I know it was really hard to hear about Judas, right? I mean, think about it. If you've ever had this happen in your life, someone who's done something horrible and then done something even worse, we often think of Judas as a bad guy, but he spent three years with these disciples. It was probably really sad for them to see what happened to him. It was probably heartbreaking, not just to see the choices he made, but then the choice he made to take his own life. And so Peter stands up and addresses this issue, and he says that Judas's betrayal was actually a fulfillment of the scriptures. 
he stands up and tells the disciples, hey, this was, this was part of the plan. It is written in the Psalms. What does he say? He says that this made his place be deserted and there no one, let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Which is really interesting. It's interesting to me that Peter stands up and says, hey, these Psalms are about Judas. If you have them in your footnotes of your Bible, you can actually see uh, he's quoting Psalm 69, verse 25, and Psalm 109, verse 8. And so, are these psalms really about Judas? Has anyone ever wondered that? I mean, Peter says it right here that, that, that these are about this issue, but I, I sometimes wonder. And so, I want to camp here for a second and explain what I think Peter's doing and what I think Peter means by this. Because it's really important for us as Christians to understand this, what we just call biblical interpretation, right? How do we read the Bible? How do we understand the Bible? How did Jesus and his disciples read and understand scripture? And we actually get a really, really cool glimpse into how Jesus interpreted the Psalms with his disciples. See, these Psalms, when they were written, were probably not written specifically about Judas and Jesus and Judas betraying Jesus, right? The author, and both are attributed to David in the Psalms. David was not thinking when he was writing these things down about Judas. He did not know about Judas. He knew his own life and experience. If you read them, Psalm 69 is about David being betrayed and relying on God to vindicate him, to restore him. And Psalm 109 is also attributed to David, as I said, and he's asking the Lord to replace the one who is his enemy, who has betrayed him. And so if David was only writing about himself, what do these Psalms have to do with Jesus? What do these Psalms have to do with Jesus or Judas? See, what this passage actually tells us that is so important for us today when we read the Bible, especially the Psalms, is this. Jesus read the Psalms, what we would call messianically. Jesus read the Psalms knowing that he was the fulfillment of all scriptures. Jesus taught his followers. I can, my best guess is he taught Peter and the other disciples from looking at how Peter interprets this, that he was the fulfillment of all of these scriptures. Yes, these Psalms are about David, but Jesus, because all scripture points to Christ and his fulfillment, Jesus is the way we should interpret all scripture. And this is the second thing we learn about discernment tonight. The first thing is that we need to continue to gather together, to meet together, to pray together. But the second thing we need to do when we're talking about knowing what to do in life and how we live life and what God's will is, is that we read the scriptures with Jesus as the fulfillment of all scriptures. That we read the scriptures as Jesus did. As he said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 17, that he did not come to abolish the law, but that he came to fulfill all the law. Isn't that amazing? And so these Psalms attributed to David about his life because Jesus, as the true king, the everlasting king in the line of David, he is the fulfillment of these Psalms and they apply to him and Judas. And so in this event, in this horrific event with Judas, the Psalms are fulfilled. Isn't that great? 
So we don't stop meeting and praying and encouraging. We read the scriptures as Jesus taught us with he, with him as the fulfillment of the scriptures and the Psalms. And the third thing we learn about discernment here, I think, is maybe the most important. Verse 21 and 22, he says, what makes sense? We need to find someone who's been a witness since the beginning. We need to find someone who knows Jesus, who's been around, can't be a new believer. This is similar language in the New Testament when it talks about elders and deacons, right? Um, for someone to be a leader in this movement that we're doing, we need someone who really knows Jesus. That makes sense. And then in verse 23 through 26, it says they have these two candidates um, and they both sort of fit the bill. And how do they decide between the two? Well, first they pray. First they pray, Lord, give us wisdom. And then it says that they cast lots in verse 26. Anyone else ever wondered about casting lots? What was this? I mean, I, this has confused me for a long time. And actually, I looked into it once before years ago, but it really, I enjoyed looking into it again this last week um, because it's mentioned a lot in the Bible, isn't it? If you read back, I found one article that said it's mentioned around 70 times in the Old Testament and seven times in the New Testament. And even with all of these mentions about casting lots, we actually don't know a lot about it. We don't know if they used like sticks and threw sticks down to see how the, the sticks would land or stones, or if it was like, you know, drawing the short straw where everyone pulls a straw and there's one short straw. Uh, we don't know if they rolled dice. It could have been a combination depending on the culture. Uh, we, it could be like flipping a coin, right? And in, in, in modern parlance, what are some things we do today when things something's 50-50? Well, flip a coin, right? Um, it, what's going on here? Okay, so as I said, this happens a lot in scripture. And so it's something we should know something about, okay? Um, in the Old Testament, some very common occurrences, just for your own knowledge, if you want to look them up, is in Joshua 18. Joshua chapter 18, when they're dividing up the land, they cast lots for who gets what's land. Uh, in 1 Chronicles 24, they actually use lots and casting lots to assign different roles and leadership in the temple and in worship. Really fascinating. Um, and what we learn from scripture is that casting lots, whatever the, the, the exact means of it were, it's a method that God gives for discernment in the Old Testament. It is a method that God gives the people or allows the people to use to discern his will. And like I said, though we don't know the specific method, we know that it was practiced by both Israelites and pagans alike, right? Many of you probably thought of Jonah. Right, We did our big study on Jonah weeks ago, and what did the sailors do when they were trying to figure out whose fault the storm was? They cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Or some of you maybe thought of, of Jesus' crucifixion when you think about casting lots. What does it say in Matthew 27? That the Roman soldiers cast lots to see who would get his possessions. Right, And, and so this is something that is prevalent in Scripture, and sometimes it's used like with Jesus's clothes in a way that seems like gambling, which is kind of odd. And in some ways, like with the choosing of this disciple, it's used to discern God's will. It's kind of an interesting balance. Where do we know? How do we know? I want to point you to Proverbs 16.33. Proverbs 16.33 says, the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. Say that again. It's Proverbs 16, verse 33. 
The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So what does this teach us? What is this thing that we can learn from this about casting lots and discernment? (laughs) It may seem really simple and obvious, but you know what, church? The third thing we can learn about discernment from this passage is that God is in control always. See, church, if we believe all these things we're talking about, we believe that God is sovereign, that God is in control of what's happening in this world, and that God is involved in the decisions happening in this world. The word we use for that in English is imminence, his imminence in the world. But, you know, and some people will argue to what degree, right? Did God cause the storm or did God allow the storm? That's not what I'm arguing here. What I'm saying is that we believe that God is in control. Scripture tells us very clearly, this Proverbs passage tells us that though we cast lots, God is the one who makes decisions. And so the third thing we need to know about discernment is that God is indeed in control. And when we see this instance where they're casting lots and we wonder, is this gambling? Like what's happening here? We need to also remember that God works in ways that are very, very clear to his people, right? God actually uses modern cultural practices in many ways in scripture to reveal himself and his truth to people, right? Let me give you some examples. Um, In the Old Testament, the Deuteronomy, the whole law in Deuteronomy is actually written in a way that was modeled after ancient Near Eastern law. So any other culture would have read the book of Deuteronomy and thought this makes perfect sense. It was written in a style that was very common at the time, like a common legal treaty, right? Some of you have read um, about Solomon building the temple and have read that Solomon actually asks Phoenician temple builders to come and help build the temple, right? to design their temple, much like there was a big pagan temple in the city of Tyre, which is on the Mediterranean Sea, because they were the best temple builders. See, though we are called to stand out in this world, God also uses things of this world to speak to us, right? Now, of course, let me be clear about something here. This is done when we are in obedience to him, right? I'm not saying go gambling and trust that God will bless you. That's not what I'm saying. Certainly not. But God can use anything in culture to speak to us, especially when we are in line with what we see here. So in this instance, it's not flipping a coin to gamble. It is a group of people who have been praying, who have been encouraging one another, who have been meeting together, who have these two candidates, and they flip a coin basically to say, God, show us which one it should be. It's a little different. God uses a common cultural thing of casting lots, whatever exactly that looked like, to reveal his discernment to those who sought his will and his plan. See, a key point here is that we need to be seeking God's will for him to do these things in our lives. And so in a way, casting lots was a cultural norm that God used to reveal his will to his followers. Right? And this is a a method God uses throughout scripture that is completely acceptable and understood by the people. It is a known way for God to reveal his will to his people. But for us tonight, what does it mean for us? Um, Let me be clear about one thing, and this will become clearer next week when we talk about the Holy Spirit. We don't need to cast lots now today. We don't need to flip a coin now today. Because in the very next chapter, the Bible tells us And I'm jumping ahead, but that's fine. You all know what happens in Acts chapter 2. In the very next chapter, the disciples receive the Holy Spirit 
And casting lots is no longer mentioned in the rest of scripture. All the decisions the disciples and the followers of Jesus make are inspired through the Holy Spirit. So you and I, we have the spirit. We do not need to cast lots. We do not need to gamble or flip a coin or anything like that. But yet, even though we have the spirit, even though you and I know that God is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we all worry about these things, don't we? We all wonder, what is God's will for my life? How do I know which choice I should make? And this, as I've said before, is one of the chief things I hear as a pastor. How can I discern God's will? Well, if you've ever come into my office and, and we've talked about this, I've used this example. So if you've heard this before, forgive me. But for those of you who haven't, uh, I want you to look at something. Oftentimes, I'm going to share my screen here. Oftentimes, we think of God's will a little bit like this. Can you see that? This is a, a game show. This is a new version of an old game show in America called Let's Make a Deal. And the game show contestants play a game of some kind or answer questions of some kind, and then they get to choose a door for their prize, right? And they choose door one, door two, or door three. And behind door one might be a car, like the, 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 the top prize. Behind door two might be two new bicycles, not as good as a car, but still good. And then behind door three might be a set of encyclopedias or, you know, something that's not such a good prize, right? Now, I share that with us because sometimes this is what we think God's will is like. Sometimes we think, if I choose the wrong door, I'm going to miss out on God's goodness. Sometimes we think if I make the wrong choice, maybe God is going to leave me and not going to bless me. Church, is that what scripture teaches us? Does that line up with the character of God? I don't think so. Church, you want to know what I think it is? I think God says, if you are meeting with people and praying with people, if you are reading scripture with Jesus Christ as the very fulfillment of scripture, and you are trusting that God is who he says he is and God is in control, all three things we see in this passage, it's not choose the right door or the wrong door. It's choose any door and let me bless you in it. Choose door one, two, or three. If you are following me, let me show you how good and how loving I am. Because if we really believe that God is in control, then the very heart of discernment, the very heart of making wise choices is knowing that we are not in control. Because church, this is obvious, but I'm going to say it. There is a God and you are not him. <laughs> okay. And so if God is in control, what does that mean? We are not. The Proverbs tell us that God is the one who is in control of all these things. Therefore, you and I must realize that our struggle with discernment is often coming from our sin and our desire for power, our desire for control. We want to make decisions. We want to know the very will of God. And so we desire power and control over the decisions in our life. But friends, let me tell you, that is a sin. The sin of power and control has made us forget the one who is actually in control. 
And when we gather together to pray, when we read scripture with Christ as the authority, and we remember that God is in control, we remember that we are not him. And the reason we struggle with discernment, the reason we struggle with what to do in life is because of these compact or these contrasting desires in our heart. The sin of power and control is pushing back against what we know to be true of our God who loves us and wants what is good for us. That sin, that deception of power is against the very will of God. And so church, let me tell you, how do we discern? How do we make wise choices? I think the first step is that we repent of the sin in our life of power and control. I'll be the first one. Anyone else have control issues? Amen and amen. I want things done the way I want them done. I want things done to make me happy. I am number one. But you know what? When I repent of that sin and I meet together with brothers and sisters in Christ to pray, I read scripture with Christ as the ultimate authority and fulfillment. And I remember that God is in control of all things. Then I am released of the temptation I have for power and control. I seek wisdom from God and other Christians like the disciples did here when they prayed, God, show us which one of these people to choose. And I realized that through the cross, through Christ's example, I find the will of God in releasing my desire for power. We don't have to cast lots anymore. If we make these three things practices in our lives with the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about next week, if we make these three things practices in our lives, we don't have to worry. And so church, as we go, let me encourage you. This is not something to worry that you're going to pick the wrong door. This is not something to worry that you're going to miss out if you make one choice or another. It takes time. Discernment sometimes takes time, but God is moving. It's not rushing to make a choice right away and saying, God, tell me your will right now or else. But it's also not sitting back and doing nothing. Discernment requires all of us to be active participants together. Let me say that again. Discernment of the will of God requires all of us to be active participants together. To seek out as the body of Christ God's will. By meeting, praying, and encouraging. By reading the scriptures through Christ. And trusting that God is in control. So that you would know. Brothers and sisters, you would know when you were faced with three different doors that God says to you, you are my child whom I love. Choose a door and watch me show you that love. Watch me show you my mercy. Watch me show you my grace as you stay with me and with my people. And so, church, as you think about these things, as you ponder these things, let us take a moment now to reflect and sing of God's sovereignty. The next song we sing about talks about this very sovereignty of God and God's power. So let's rest in that power as we meditate on these scriptures.